Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities. Eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy welcoming you to another interesting episode of She Talks Peace. My co-host this month is from Sabah, Malaysia. Say hello! Hi everybody, hi again, and uh, I'm Ayesa, and I'm uh, a lecturer at University Malaysia Sabah, and I've been living in Malaysia, I think, for the last uh, 14 years now. Yeah, so... Uh, I am glad that I could be part of this of this she talks piece because there's certainly a lot of stories that we can share about peace building in Southeast Asia. Glad to have you on board, Ayesa. So tell me, what's happening in Sabah? Are people Sabah. talking about our claim after the French court decided in favor of the Sultan's uh, heirs? Are you also taking part in that claim, Amina? According to the news, Ayesa, a French court ordered the Malaysian government to pay $14.9 billion to the legal descendants of Jamalul Kiram II, then Sultan of Sulu. And uh, this award is connected to a legal case launched by the heirs of the Sultan to win compensation over land in Sabah. And uh, my grandfather, the late uh, Haji Bhutu, who was the first Muslim senator in the country, was then prime minister of the Sultan. So yes, yes, huh? I oh. am one of the heirs. <laughs> what do you think? It's great to be rich. Anyway, uh, yeah, seriously, Amina, yeah, of course, uh, everybody here in Malaysia, especially the Sabahan people in Sabah, are very concerned about this case. Uh, everybody knows, you know, it's it's not a secret that there continues to be a Sabah claim dispute, you know, among um, uh, in some in some areas of, of Sabah, you know. So it's not the whole of Sabah that's being claimed, but some areas, mainly the east coast part of, of Sabah, it's a historical claim. Yeah, but when it comes to this ongoing case, yeah, it's it's really interesting, you know, personally, you know, I, I'm also carefully monitoring it. Given that by, you know, at, at, at present, we all know that, that, well, there is, you know, a decision by this arbitration court. We also know for a fact that it is very difficult to enforce. Mm. And then I am aware that the Malaysian government, of course, will be contesting uh, that arbitration court decision. So it's going to be a long um, legal battle. You know? And to yeah. some extent, you know, actually glad that it is this claim issue is being taken into to court. You know? Whether it is the proper court or not the right court to be taken to, but then again, it is better than having, you know, a confrontation or an escalated conflict because of this 
claim. So we just hope that nothing of this lahat that to incident way back in 2013 will happen again. You know, because of course, as women in the ASEAN Women Peace Registry, that is not what we want to happen in our ASEAN region. So hopefully, you know, uh, not only will our governments uh, tackle this issue, but also we hope that more people in the peace building community can also, you know, think about this case and how do we actually about to go into a, perhaps a dialogue process among the people themselves. Yeah, yes, uh, but I keep imagining what I could do if Malaysia does pay the heirs. The first thing I would do would be to set up a fund that would provide <laughs> grant to women peace builders at the community level and to support our advocacy, our, our research. Because can you just imagine getting hundreds of uh, millions of dollars as, uh, as your share? You know, we can dream. Dreaming is dreaming. You are but, share. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we can always dream. But you know <laughs> what, Ayesa? There are actually women's organizations that have managed to raise funds, lots of funds, to run their own programs, like uh, Indonesia's Aisha. Did you know that they're already like uh, 100 years old? They were established in 1917 as an Islamic faith-based women's organization uh, under Muhammadiyah. And as you very well know, Muhammadiyah is one of the two largest Islamic organizations in Indonesia and in the world. Aisha contributes to women's empowerment by strengthening women's participation in all aspects of social and economic life. I actually visited them years ago. Ayesa, and I was so amazed that they were running hospitals and, and schools. Okay. Where is this based? Where is that headquarters? Yeah. They're, they're in Indonesia. And I think I went to Jogjakarta to visit some of their operations. But we're really lucky today because we're going to be joined by our dear friend and colleague who's also with us at the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry and who's uh, with Aisha. This is Dr. Arifa Rahmawati, who's a senior researcher at the Center for Security and Peace Studies of Gajah Muda University of Yogyakarta, Indonesia. She's a member of the Economic Board of Aisha. And uh, Arifa's main research interest is on gender, conflict, and peace building. Arifa was Indonesia's coordinator and uh, principal researcher of the, their gender, conflict, and peace building project. I think it was a six-year research uh, project. And that particular research aimed to investigate gendered conflict dynamics and peace-building initiatives at the community, state, and international levels in Indonesia and Nigeria. Arifa's dissertation title is Gender Contestation on the Reintegration Process of the Achenese Female Ex-Combatants. Welcome to She Talks Peace, Dr. Arifa Rahmawati, our dear friend, Dr. Arifa. Hi, Mom, Amina, and Aisha, my dear friend in, during the Bangkok meeting last month. <laughs> 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 yes, <laughs> no, don't be started on Bangkok, Arifa. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Thank you for inviting me, and it is an honor to be here with you too. Yeah, Arifa, can, uh, first of all, can we ask you, how do you pronounce your organization name? <laughs> okay, it's good to try. Or is that like my name, Ayesa or Aisha? I guess it is the similar with your name, only different pronunciation. We address more on the Aisha. Aisha. Okay. Yes. So we have yeah at the end. So. I, but I think the, the 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 meaning is similar with with your name, actually, Ayesha. 
Okay. Yeah, only different syllable and the pronunciation. But it is Aisha, we call it. And thank you for introducing the Aisha, Ma'am Amina. I'm glad that you already visit our town, Yogyakarta, as well as visit uh, some of our uh, program in uh, supporting people at the grassroots level uh, and also filling the gap what our government can support or provide the basic uh, need of the people, health and education. Maybe just for your information, right now, Aisha has already three universities wow. uh, in Indonesia and more than 11,000 uh, schools from the early age of school, kindergarten, as well as the, what do you call, primary school, and then uh, university. Yes, uh, if I if I win my share from Sabah, Arifa doesn't need. Can I ask where is the University of Aisha? The university right now, one in Yogyakarta, the oldest one. And then the second, it is in certain part of Sulawesi. And uh, another one just opened three months ago. It was in Papua. It is in Papua. Oh, that's a good thing that you have yeah. been, uh, you open uh, a branch in Papua because that is yeah. another interesting uh, place for AWPR, you know, since we are yes. interested. To, to, it is, to, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but Arifa, Ayesa and I are really interested in that research project that you did and your yeah. dissertation on gender mm -hmm. interpretation and uh, the integration of uh, female ex-combatants um, in Aceh. Yeah. So let me, let me start by asking you, why... Did these Muslim women become combatants? How did they become combatants? Thank you for the question, Amina. Well, first of all, I'm, I was lucky because I met with this group of female ex-combatants that at the time when we started the program, the project in 2014, we didn't, re we didn't re realize that there exist. So as we all know, usually uh, women involvement in conflict are really pushed aside as victim uh, and a passive actor, something like that. Uh, we didn't realize that there was a group of women who were very active in uh, doing or joining the, uh, what do you call, gorilla. They, they were in the jungle, they were in the forest, and they trained as a military uh, women, something like that. And they did also fighting with the uh, Indonesian military at the time. So we were so lucky that we found them. And then finally, we, I personally then uh, go deeper and take that uh, opportunity for my personal research, for my dissertation. And it was very interesting because I tried to compare the gender situation during the violent conflict and after the peace has been signed in 2005, actually. Yeah? So uh, answering your question, Amina, why they joining the guerrilla and violence against the Indonesian military, I think I found at least three factors that can be pushed pull as well as kind of legitimate their, their activities. When I try to understand what is the push factor, then I think first the push factor is because kind of what we call as the biographical availability. Yeah? They have biography that make them available to join. It is like uh, the history of the family who involved in the opposition movement before. And I mean, as well as Arifa, you mean like their families were already involved? As yes, as yes, family. yes. Because if we look at the Aceh history uh, before the Free Aceh Movement, there was another movement against mm -hmm. the Indonesian government 
And mm-hmm. most, uh, all of the female combatant that I met, uh, their parent, uh, their grandparent actually joining that movement before. Mm-hmm. So somehow mm-hmm. they know the history of the, the involvement into that uh, opposition movement. And some of them got some pressure or the family that as our family already joined, now you have to join. If you don't do, you are a girl, you are a woman. And most of them uh, was quite young, from the 15 to 24 years old when they joining the gorilla. And they get pressure and also support from the family, friend and neighbor. And uh, the neighbor usually they are so proud when a girl joining the opposition movement, something like that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And another push factor is kind of sense of insecurity as a result of 29 years mm-hmm. of economic and social deprivation uh, of the conflict. So some of them say then, well, I feel safe when I went to the jungle with the gum. If not, then I will be sexual targeted by the Indonesian military, something like that. So, yeah, that's the way they try to secure themselves economically and also physically. So that's why they're joining for the security reason, actually. That's the, 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 the push factor. And then also the pull factor. It is very interesting because uh, some of them say that I'm really like to wear the uniform and carrying the arm, the gun. I feel so powerful with that. Power. Okay. Yeah, yes. Power. So, and mm. the portrait imagining as masculinity and power were in their head. So that's why mm. they're very proud to be part of the military wing of the GAM, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also some of them, before they joining, they have, uh, they dream that they someday they will become police officer or military officer. Some of them tried to be, but they fail because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the requirement is very high, yeah. So when they couldn't join the Indonesian military and police, then when the GAM, they 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 joining the gum. They can directly become the police and military without any screening, without mm-hmm. any uh, regulation, something like that. So I think somehow becoming the combatant is kind of their dream, and they achieve that something like that. So because that's the full factor. Power. Because they yeah. they feel like like they're you know getting a power yes. which they didn't have because Ache is a very fundamentalist uh, community, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. During that time, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. And But of course, not all young women feel that way because the young women who feel that way mostly come from the rural areas, mm-hmm. which is very much targeted by Indonesian military as a stronghold of free Aceh movement. So that's why then they feel insecure, yeah? Because some of the young women who live in town, 
they are enjoying still the life, even though not so free. But they can mm-hmm. go to when they can. Uh, they went to the school. They went to the university. So they don't have any imagine imagination to be part mm-hmm. of the combatant, something like that. So that's the situation at the time. But I think the total number of the female combatant, according to them, according to them, to them, is about two thousand F five hundred. And I asked, mm. how do you count them? They said that that it was the way, because we saw all of the female combatants, we were at the same camp. We were training, trained at the same time. And we come all over from the Aceh area, something like that. So imagine um, among, two, let's say, 25,000 combatants, uh, 10% are female, were female combatants mm. at the time. Actual combatants, Arifa. I mean, not just yep. uh, you know uh, people who are helping by cooking, by taking care of the wounded. Actual combatants. Yeah. Well, at the, at the beginning, they they all were combatants. They have been trained as military officer, but then after they finished the training, of course, then there was a there they they were uh, beautified into the real combat. Mm. who really carry arm and gun and who have to cook, uh, helping actually, because the cook and the most provider uh, were from the people at the village level. So the, the, the female combatant uh, responsible to get the uh, supply from uh, buying rice, buying meat or um, eggs, something like that. But the, the cook actually are people from the, the village. So, but they have been divided into some certain um, job, in, including taking uh, care of the wounded people. Yeah. Uh, you already mentioned the demographic, you know, like uh, many of those are uh, women who were involved as combatants are from the rural areas. But yeah. then again, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what is the level of education? Yes, very good question. I think the highest level of education are at the 11th grade. So yeah. Very young. yeah, so they are not yet finished the high school, basically. But most of them are only uh, finished the junior school. So attending the 11 or 12, 12, 12 level, 12 grade actually. So it's quite low. Even some of them, they didn't enter school at all. I met one of the women. She was a young widow, have one son, but then she joined also as combatant. And I asked why you joining the combatant because you have kids, you have children that you need to take care. And also mom, mother, who quite old at the time. She said, because I was so angry because at the time they just took my brother and beat him to death. So I want to revenge, something like that. So I left my son to my mother to be taken care. And I went to the jungle and to the forest with the gum. Arifa, can we also know if many of these women eventually married fellow combatants? They they get married to other uh, fighters within the gang, or they married outside of the organization? If I look at ten female combatants that I interviewed uh, many times, actually uh, one of them, uh, uh, sorry, not one of them, two of them didn't marry until now and then about three widow and the other five other they married with non-combatant so not all married with the, the combatant actually so it's various and depend on the their situation and one of uh, my informants said she said that i married when i joined the gum because i want him to take care of me when somehow I was shot to death. Okay. So that's why she didn't marry with a combatant because she needs a man who take care of her uh, when uh, she has to come back or she has to has uh, have wounded or have uh, take care of uh, her body, something like that. So there are many, many situations, I think, but not all married with a combatant at the time. So finally, Arifa, when 
the Gerakan Aceh Merdeka signed that Helsinki MOU. Was it in 2008 or 2009? MOU uh-huh. 2005. Uh, 2005, okay. Sorry, yes, 2005. Yeah. And there was now uh, a DDR, a Demobilization and Reintegration Program yeah. of all GAM uh, combatants and fighters. Uh, I understand that for the men, of course, you know, they were also uh, given, you know, a program like they, you know, they can be part of livelihood trainings and uh, enterprises. No? Uh, yeah. And then when they were uh, going back to their communities, for them to be accepted back to their communities, there was some sort of a community-based type of reconciliation yeah. program for them. But how about for the women? Was it yeah. different? when the women finally went back to their kampong, to their villages, were they yes. accepted easily as compared to the male combatants? Uh, that's the, my main point, Aisa, actually. That's the gender has been contested. Because as I mentioned before, during the conflict, there is no barrier, obstacle for women to joining the confidence, yeah. So, and everyone proud of them uh, uh, at the time uh, joining the the movement. But when the peace has been signed and the peace building has been started with the DDR and then reintegration process, I would like to talk three type of reintegration. First is the social reintegration. Second is economic, and then political. For the social integration, I have to say that uh, all the combatants, male and female, had no barrier at all, had no problem to come back to their own uh, village, uh, the community and people. Yeah, As I mentioned before, one push factor for them to joining the uh, guerrilla or the opposition movement is really also represent their their community or village. So that's why there is there was no barrier for them to reintegrate socially. But this is very interesting uh, regarding the economic reintegration. You are right, uh, Aisa. For female combatant, it was not that easy to get access for the economic reintegration. And my research found that there was kind of that the female combatant finally they are not homogeneous. There were so many layers among the female combatant after the peace has been signed. When I mention about the layers, because I found that some of them get all the access for the economic reintegration resources, a job, and then um, reintegration fund. Uh, opportunity to taking part on the process, something like that. They got all that access, but most of them they didn't get the access. Yeah, and this I, mean, I, I was I was curious why, yeah. why who get the benefit, and then finally I found that I I combined all the commander, female combatant commander, uh, ten of them. I interviewed deeply, and then I I I uh, try to look at. Who got the benefit? By the way, Arifa, um, I, I saw um, a, a research that was done about what happened yeah. to this to these women on uh, Inong Bali. Yes, and that they they have uh, these women with their children have resorted to begging for uh, for you know for for their livelihood. Yeah. There doesn't seem well, to be much support. Yeah, that's that's true. There are so many cases like that, actually. And who are they? And then I found that the female combatant who didn't have any, uh, what do you call it, kinship or uh, family relative with men in power, that's the woman who didn't get the access. So in order to get the access of the beneficiary of the reintegration, you have to have men in power that will say that, oh yeah, you can give this to this woman, something like that. If you didn't have any kinship with the man in power, then you will didn't get any of the beneficiaries, politically and socially, uh, economically, sorry, because social, there, there were no problem with the social reintegration, but economic and political uh, reintegration, you have to have men permission and support in order to get them something like that finding arifa that's a very important finding and i think that is one 
a finding that we can, you know, that can actually launch more research, you know, in the region, especially with ASEAN Women Peace Registry, since we're talking about Women Peace Security Agenda, you know, that yeah. finding actually also be uh, verified, you know, in the Bangsamoro post-conflict. Mm. Yeah. And also in, in other places, even like in Sri Lanka, you know, with yeah. what happened in Sri Lanka. And so, you know, that in itself is, to me, is so important. And thank you for doing that good research. And then I think, Amina, you wanted to, uh, to ask further about Arifa's uh, foundation. Arifa, yeah. uh, the research that, that you did, do you have any sense of what's happened since you did the research, is um, is the the government, uh, the federal government, for instance, in Aceh, have they changed the way that they're reaching out and reintegrating these uh, these combatants, or not much has changed? At the beginning, when the peace has been signed, actually, there is no single word of female combatant in it. If you look at the uh, Helsinki Memorandum of Understanding, they only mention combatant. And then the uh, government at the time uh, translated into male combatant. So, of course, the first who got the benefit of their integration uh, were male combatant. So no female combatant at all. But then I think the female combatant did kind of movement that they demanding and make a noise that we are also combatant. Uh, so we also demand the reintegration fund, something like that. And then the, uh, the, the person in charge at the time changed the kind of internal uh, setting up for the reintegration. And then they included the women. But as I mentioned, not all the female combatant, 2,500, yeah, only who really has the sound, the voice, and then has the kinship with the men in power, get the benefit. Also the number, because even the uh, MOU said its combatant will get 25 million rupiah, but mm. in actual, actually, they got uh, uh, lower than that. The highest number that I got is uh, she got, I think, only 5 million rupiah. Sounds very big, Arifa, but uh, convert it to dollars. How much is 5 million rupiah? Well, uh, we can divide it into 15,000. You can divide it into 15,000, I think. For I mean that 15,000 rupiah equal to one US dollar. So it's not as big as, uh, as it sounds. At all. Yeah, yeah, not big, not big at all, of, of course. Yeah, so yeah. most of them didn't get any. Yeah, so I think even at certain point, the local government changed, but somehow I think the international organization who take care of uh, the female ex combatant, our dear friend uh, Sadia Marhaban, if you know, she at the time uh, also because. She's an elite female of gum, gum. Uh, so she able to set up kind of a group who take care of the female combatant, the real combatant. But funny, a bit funny story because then what she did is uh, train the female combatant for sewing and give them sewing machine. Of course, mm -hmm. they didn't use it because they don't <laughs> used to be. <laughs> Uh, they were yeah. they, they were farmer uh, when out on the field so somehow uh, i think the program didn't really set up nicely and didn't really look at what the female combatant need so i think the program not continue i think only three three or five years after that they stopped and then so there's, uh, we, there's yeah. a mismatch what the combatants actually want and can do versus yeah. what owner agencies are trying to give to them. Yeah. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. I was just going to ask you, yes, uh, because you've done a lot of, this uh, reviews this analysis of uh, the work that that was being done in uh, the Bangsamoro areas of conflict and uh, this looks familiar right yeah. they don't really assess what the combatants or the communities need they yeah. give what they think the communities need right ayesa yeah but at the same time amina uh, I'm not sure what is happening today in BARM, but even at the early years of the Bangsamoro Development Agencies, uh, I'm, I'm aware that the way that they were doing community uh, livelihood planning, they actually involved you know, combatants, whether they are male and female, and allow them, you know, help them out in their own planning. So I, I think, you know, since that is the start of the BDA before, I'm sure that BARM is also continuing that kind of participatory and inclusive framework and getting the combatants to take part and decide for their livelihood. But I want to go back to that uh, analysis that um, and finding of Arifa about how combatants, female combatants are actually existing you know, in our society and yet a lot of work is being done for them and with them. But we see that uh, in many cases, like even in BARM right now, and, and same thing with Ache, we actually do not have a full representation of the female combatant, let's say in the parliament, in politics, you know, in the actual leadership post. You know, so that is actually another uh, area that we should continue to discuss. So it's like, yes, there are many women uh, leaders you know, in the NGOs, in members of the parliament, but then we tend to represent the issues of the combatants. But from sister to another sister, I think that is also an internal uh, reflection, you know, amongst us. You know, why is it that we are not bringing the female combatants themselves so that they can do the work and they can represent their voice? Yeah, Arifa, maybe because as you pointed out earlier, the levels of education are are low, so maybe they cannot uh, really compete in the political arena. But Arifa, let me ask you about the Aishia, because they are also present in, in Aceh, right? So how is yeah. the Aishia organization helping in the reintegration process? And are there obstacles that they're facing to help yeah. with uh, female combatants reintegration? Well, first we need to understand the context of Islam in Aceh, which is quite different with the context of Islam in Yogyakarta. Yeah? So even we are Islam, but we are not united. We are not the same. Because in according to the Acehness, Muhammadiyah and Aisha has been perceived as Wahhabi, and they don't like it. I think in one particular area, uh, Muhammadiyah Mosque has been burned by the Muslim Achehnes because they thought that this is not good Islam because they uh, uh, preach for the more uh, the, the Wahhabi, something like that. So there, there, there are misunderstanding about the the, uh, the the existence of Muhammadiyah and Aisha in Aceh. But yes, I, uh, Muhammadiyah and Aisha is there in, in, in Aceh, but they only exist in Banda Aceh, the capital. They really didn't go to the, to, the, to the village level. And I think I have to say that so far, even Aisha and Muhammadiyah is the second largest uh, Muslim organization, but actually we exist mostly at the city, at the town, not really in the rural areas where people really need more help. So somehow in, in, in Aceh, I think the obstacle is getting more and more because the misunderstanding and the perception. 
and the Muhammadiyah is not really well accepted for the Acehness, except at the town, at the big city, I think, yeah. But interestingly, uh, the Acehness people, they are so happy to go to the Muhammadiyah school and hospital, use the Aceh, uh, the, the Aisyah Muhammadiyah flag to do the uh, Islamic teaching or whatsoever, they didn't like it. They, 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 they don't want it. But they are happy to use or to what you advantage of the school and the hospital. So I think that's the obstacle. I uh, we in order to understand what's the Aisha role in helping the female combatant, I think first we need to understand the Islam contact in Aceh, which is in many aspects uh, different with the Islam in other areas. And their perception about Muhammadiyah uh, also different. They perceive Muhammadiyah as a Wahhabi group. So the Achehnes, I think they really not happy with that. So they don't really embrace the Muhammadiyah and Aisha movement. Uh, even they were, they burn one of the Muhammadiyah mosques in one particular areas because they perceive again uh, Muhammadiyah as a Wahhabi movement, something like that. But the funny thing is that the Achehnes, they were so proud with the Muhammadiyah and Aisha uh, hospital and school because they know they are more modern, they provide more advanced uh, curriculum, something like that. So they're happy to put their children in the school and then went to the uh, Muhammadiyah hospital. But they don't like the Muhammadiyah as an Islamic organization with their uh, Islamic uh, teaching, something like that. They, they still don't accept that. I think most of them, uh, when I interview, they say that, ah, oh, Muhammadiyah is not good. Uh, they are Wahhabi. The, the... I actually, I, I can actually testify to what Arifa said, Amina. I've been to Aceh a couple of times and I have many Achenese uh, female friends. And yes, everything that Arifa said is true. You know, especially among Achenese women, they also have this great history of leadership among uh in their you know in their own right to self-determination struggle in fact some of the leaders before you know this was uh during the early years of uh the conflict not only with uh even before the conflict with jakarta but also the conflict with the dutch and the other uh foreign invaders you know uh, some of the leaders were actually women uh, very famous uh, Achenese uh, women leaders. And then, um, as Arifa said, yeah, it's actually good that Arifa is saying this thing so that hopefully our audience will realize that even among, uh, within Muslim societies, you know, uh, like yeah. Indonesia, it's a big Muslim country, we do have all these nuances, you know, so mm -hmm. we cannot be lumped together that, you know, uh, the way that we practice Islam and how Muslims are in one country is the same from Aceh to Jakarta to Bandung to Batam, you know, so it, it's good that uh, Arifa mentioned these things. Yeah. Oh, um, I have an, 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 a question from one of our... There were supposed to be two young people, uh, staffers from the Bangsamoro Transition Authority, who join us, but um, they're having connectivity problems with Magindanao. So one question that they have, Arifa, uh, it looks like the reintegration of the combatants, there has been injustice there, um, excluding the female ex-combatants and the question is is has this led to a cycle of injustice in the present society in Aceh? Hmm. Yeah, very tough question. Well, <laughs> um, well, uh, unfortunately, Aceh, the post-conflict uh, of Aceh uh, getting more and more conservative in the way that they put uh, women really back to the home, back to the domestic area. So whenever you, you, you uh, or the Achehnes face the local election, for example, there will be very massive campaign against women nominated themselves as a representative at the local legislatives, for example, not say as the executive leader. They will say, no, don't uh, 
food for women because women supposed not to be leader. That's a very public has been said by Islamic leader, especially at the village level. So that's another obstacle why, uh, for example, for female combatant, it's very hard to nominate themselves. Yeah. If they able to nominate, then the their organization or the political party of the ex-GAM, for example, they will not support. And uh, it looks like we're running out of time, Arifa. And hmm. I wanted to to ask um, if you would like to share message of hope to our listeners that what's happening in in Aceh is not the end of it that you know there's still a lot that's being done by groups like Aisha by the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry by Arifa Rahmawati what is it <laughs> to to help improve the situation sure thanks amina uh, first there is no post conflict for women because even the, the 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 fighting the war was end but the violence are still there structurally culturally yeah so feminists will reject the post conflict situation because for women they in their day life they have to struggle against the violence that enable disabling them to participate as a, a citizen something like that yeah so therefore i think uh, aisha mentioned about that we need to do some more research in order to make this findings uh, louder and make voice about that and the second i think if we have our joining organization by internationally regionally we need to look at this in the very bottom of the female or uh, women layers in Aceh. yeah because after the peace has been signed actually the female combatant at the very bottom of the male or women layer, a female layer actually, because we realize uh, women are not unite. We are very heterogeneistic based on our uh, identity, based on our social situation, economic situation. So, but the female combatant are at the very bottom uh, level in, in this sense. So I think we need to take care of them because if not, then we do not know whether they will be more radicalism there, or they did nothing. We, we did nothing uh, to help people to get peace, especially for the female combatant, I think. Yeah, I'd like to add quickly to what I've learned, you know, from Arifa's sharing on, on her six year of study on gender and in conflict and in peace in Aceh. You know, um, it's but uh, understandable that even this idea of feminism you know can be you know, strongly rejected especially in muslim society but then when we talk about really about the changes you know in a conflict to peace society like Aceh and bangsamoro regions you know we should just simplify the question then that has the peace changed uh, the, the situation or life of the women you know for the better because if it did not have any changes at all then you know as arifa said you know um, the women continues to be marginalized as a sector so i think that is one takeaway that i learned from this uh chit chat with arifa and thank you so much arifa for sharing really oh. your extensive in this research so hopefully we can you know come up with something and continue to work you know and and as you mentioned yeah, sure. you know focus especially on the female combatants in all those posts, yeah. in these post societies. Thank you so much, uh, Arifa, for joining us. Ayesa has expressed my hope that uh, you, Ayesa, me, the sisters in the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry, we could really come together and start looking into yeah, cases sure. in, in Aceh. What is it that yeah. we can contribute to improve the situation a bit? But um, in, in closing, um, my dear listeners, I worry uh, after listening to all of the news about what's happening in Afghanistan, for instance, a year after mm. the Americans uh, left Afghanistan, it looks like uh, the situation of, 
of women there and young girls has gone back like a generation. So yeah. uh, young women, young girls can no longer go to school. Uh, women have been kicked out of uh, the workplace. They're not uh, working in their jobs anymore. And I found it, Arifa, particularly bothersome when one newscaster was saying that um, one of the mullahs said that the best hijab for women is to stay at home. And uh, with, uh, with that, um, I think Arifa, Ayesa, and I are going to start thinking tonight about that message <laughs> and yeah. hope and pray, Ayesa, Arifa, that that kind of thinking never takes root in Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, and uh, in our Muslim communities in Southeast Asia. So thank you so much, Arifa, for joining us and uh, sharing your... It's my honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hope we can have a chit-chat later and good luck with, good luck with the program. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So this is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, thanking all of our listeners for joining us on this very interesting and sometimes very bothersome, very intriguing episode on She Talks Peace. Ayesa? Thank you again, Arifa for sharing a lot of things uh, today and we hope to see everybody next time to see and hear and, and, and for our other listeners to listen to us more in the next She Talks piece. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.